0: Lifeway. Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Eiten, here as always with Todd Atkins. Good morning. (laughs) And today we're joined by uh, Dr. Jared Musgrove, who is the co-founder of the Community Leadership Collective. He also serves as executive pastor and elder at the Well Community Church in Argyle, Texas, and as the director of leadership for Beta Epsilon Chi, the nation's largest Christian fraternity. And lastly, he's also the co-author of a brand new book called A Short Guide to Groups, The Art of Leading Community. Jared, so excited to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, man, for having me and running through all my hobbies right (laughs) then. There you go.
2: Well, I, I think, you know, one of the most interesting things that's happened in the last few years is people have gotten a little more serious about groups again. Not that they weren't, not that we have ever not been truly. We know that we should be discipling people and then we do 50,000 things in the church and call it discipleship. But groups is one of those things that I would say has been essential in my own life and then the own every church I've ever been a part of or led, groups, the health of our groups was a direct reflection of the health of our people and the health of our church. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about the importance of Groups and then we'll get into our five questions. No, man, and tell and and a little bit
1: about what the book's about. Sure, I mean you—you said it. So goes groups, so goes the church. I've Mm. I've always believed that, and since since I was in college, smaller groups of believers have been how I have been formed most deeply. I think that's true of most because, uh, especially for adults, you really don't transform without another person or persons. And I think that small groups have the the best chance of being that that environment within the local church so that that's why we wrote the book we we're looking around there's a lot of great kind of how-to small groups books and some of them i've really benefited from some of them i've recommended i just didn't see one out there that captured the the adventure and the art of leading community a lot less this than this and more so like uh hey this then and then what else so really plugging into the adventure was was some of the fun of getting into the book and writing it in community. Got to write it with a close friend of mine and colleague, Justin Ella Frost, who he's the best groups guy in the country. I'll just say it. But um, man, it just it just made for a really fun book. And I, I've enjoyed I've enjoyed getting to talk with people about it. So win all around. Very good. Uh, so first question
0: for you today, uh, Jared, is who are you learning from right now?
1: Probably the main person I've been learning from the last few years, uh, I actually worked with. His name's Kent Rabelais. Uh, he and I were on staff together, worked closely at the Village Church. We both rolled off a staff there about this time last year to pursue a lot of other things. see my bio. And um, Kent, is, Kent is probably the best soulful leader I know. As far as getting into what really drives a leader individually he helped me a lot individually and then he now he's off with Kent's studio and that's the work he does is just diving deep with leaders kind of helping them discover their why and then kind of pursue their what but kent taught me communications direction fundraising i mean just the soul of leadership he yeah i i can't say enough about him that's been recently i learned a lot from my co-author justin i mean i I can't talk about him enough. He is one of my closest friends. He's a great man of God. Like I said, he's the best groups guy in, in the US. And then he is just a passionate man of God. I learned a lot from him. And another one of my closest friends um, planted a church in California. His name's Travis Cunningham. He planted Story Church out there about four years ago. Man, guys, it's just, it's just great to have friends you look up to. Like, that's what I would say. I learn a ton from them continually, almost weekly. I mean, theologically, you know, we can go into that. I, Craig Keener is kind of who I've been reading a lot of recently. His his miracles books, his spirit hermeneutics. Yeah, that's what I've been enjoying. I'm curious. You, you
0: talk about Justin being one of the best groups guys in the country. What what kind of qualities do you do you see in him that you think should be emulated in other groups pastors?
1: Man, it's it's so groups leading groups is shepherding ministry. So mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta love to just like bear hug, everything about ministry, not just one or two aspects of it. So if you only want to teach, you know, you're going to get really frustrated in groups ministry. If you only want to counsel, you might get frustrated in groups ministry, but if you love all of it, if you love care, if you love hospital, visit, like man, groups ministry runs the gamut in ministry. And so Justin is just the epitome of a guy who's emotionally intelligent, prayerful, loves the adventure, of groups ministry and loves leading the people of god regardless of the situation that makes a great groups minister i'm i'm just
2: i'm interested in talking to you about mid-sized communities and yeah. then dispersed communities because mm-hmm. of your work with i'm not going to try to say it so byx the the fraternity. Um, yep. What, like, what is that and how does it contribute to Christian community? Absolutely. And then in a larger church setting, like a village, like the well, like, you know, Mm -hmm. a a lot Mm -hmm. of our larger churches there, any really anything over 150. What role does small groups and then other mid-sized communities play?
1: Yeah. Uh, With Beta Upsilon Chi, you know, we're about a 40 year old fraternity. We've got. Currently, uh, about forty chapters nationwide at major universities, and uh, that's gonna that's gonna round about about three thousand members, about ten thousand alumni. So we've been around a while. The small groups aspect for me is that's where I first discovered a small group, because part of the fraternity is that the men the men in there are put into smaller groups called cell groups with each other, and right. uh, we're we're a Christian fraternity. And so we get in there to do life together with Christ. That was the first time I really experienced that kind of Christian community with other men. And I'm doing what I do today because that happened for me in college. Um, so that, that's where community began for me. And I know there's a lot of the other guys and alumni who would tell a similar story. So that's the work we're doing there. It's just trying to catch guys at the time of maybe the most potential to form that love of Christian community, to give them the muscle memory to be able to, this is what it looks like to do life with other men, to pursue Jesus alongside other men, um, with the hope that they're going to take that into their churches, which is what the Lord allowed me to do and just getting to lead all kinds of different community ministries over the last 20 years. As far as um, mid-sized communities and yeah. go,
2: how, what would you, I, I don't know, what would you say, is there an importance there for in a larger church setting? When you say mid-size, what are you talking like 20 to 25 people? Let me give you a scenario. Um, okay. What we, we were, Dan and I go way back, like, I don't know, 15, 16 years. And right. it, back in that, back in that time, we were launching campuses like they were going out of style and mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, this is going to sound horrible, but you said cell group. So I'm going to go here. Sure. I looked at our small group ministry as sleeper cells for whatever campus, uh, the sure. next campus I wanted to do. So the health of, yes. I knew exactly where all our small groups were located. Mm-hmm. I knew where those uh, small groups volunteered in our church mm-hmm. because I was looking at where could I potentially go next, and if I found a venue in this place, then you know, hey, we're 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 ready to go. That's even more important than. I I don't know, the the getting a staff person. So our mid-sized communities were gathering were like a regional thing because they were basically groups of small groups. And then they were really good at connecting. Like some people may not come to a small group, but they would come to a once a month or you know, whatever thing, or serving thing. So we just formed, we put small groups together in mid-sized communities. Daniel M, who used to be a co-host on the podcast, who's yeah. written a, a lot of different things in discipleship mm-hmm. area, he would say mid-sized communities, you know, are really anything that is in that mid-sized range, and. Mm. May not be as um, systematic and process oriented as as I tried to make
1: ours, but no, I hear you. I hear you. No, I mean, so the mid the mid sized community aspect um, also holds a lot of potential for a church, um, much like what we've been talking about. I, I, I have seen whole churches planted out of such mid sized communities. There's a ton of potential yes. there because mm-hmm. because one of the great things about small groups, guys, and the thing that frustrates a lot of kind of XP minded guys who just want the system that works is that sometimes you got to be a little more open to people using their gifts in ways that, that may not fit on paper for what you think the group could be, but it's got a ton of potential. You people, the best place for people to use their spiritual gifts in the church is a small group. That's where those mid sized communities really hold a ton of potential and adventure for your church. If you'll lean into it, if you'll pay attention to where they are, if you'll see who's in them, if you'll if you'll get in on what God's doing in those groups, man, you talk about planning new churches, you talk about ministries coming online, you talk about people getting cared for in your church. Tons of potential in those. Absolutely. Okay.
2: I'm I'm gonna move us on, Dan. Um yeah. the okay, so our second question is what's your main point of emphasis in your leadership mm-hmm. right now? Obviously, you've made a transition or two in the last couple of years, yep. but What's, what's your main point of emphasis at the moment?
1: Gosh, I've got kind of three teams. So I've got an emphasis. Uh, at The Well, we are, we are a church that more than doubled in size last year. Um, that's part of why I'm there. And what I've been learning there, and I've learned a lot of this through our worship pastor, um, Adam Crawford, is that we're just gonna do all of life and ministry through prayer. We've got this new kind of burgeoning thing happening in Argyle. That's the ministry focus there is that we, we are going to be prayerful elders. We're gonna be prayerful groups. That, that's just been a rediscovery, no new lessons there, but just a rediscovery of old lessons. With Bucks or with Beta Hoops Long Chi, man, we've got a great story that's about 40 years old and we're focusing on storytelling right now. That's a lot of why I'm there, is that uh, we've got a story of God doing some amazing things in the life of college men and beyond. And so that's what me and the team are focusing on quite a bit there. And with community leadership, a lot of it is in the book. A lot of it is that focus of I want I want people who lead communities within churches uh, to feel seen and to feel equipped and empowered um, to get in on what God's doing through those groups like we've been talking about. So I have a follow up to that, Dan. Sorry, I'm hogging the questions today.
2: So I have done either a year long residency or summer internships, ran those programs for over 20 years now. Uh, yes, thank you. I know I don't look that old, but thank you. <laughs> thank you. Everybody can't see me, so but thank you, Jared. No, the the thing is I've seen shifts over the years in the the quality and the number of young guys that apply. Maybe not the quality, the mm-hmm. maturity mm-hmm. of young guys that apply. Now the guys that do come on board usually are pretty high caliber, but I wonder if you might talk to—I—I I, I didn't know if there's any insight or understanding or—or or, uh, I don't know—a perspective you mm-hmm. might bring to the table from the buck standpoint. Uh, this is not what I thought we were going to talk about today. No, that's but, great. I um, love, <laughs> but young male leaders—how how important is that community in their development? Whether it's in oh. a church or in a
1: Christian fraternity or whatever—how how important is that? It's absolutely essential. I mean man man was not made to be alone. The guys that try to go it alone, whether it's planning a church, leading a company, whatever it is, uh, they burn out real quick. Mm-hmm. and you know I, you you're talking about from the from the kind of you know like hey we're training these guys to go plant churches, the cohort model. I'm talking from about 20 years of 30 to 45 year old men sitting in my office without friends facing life crises, facing addictions, a lot of them brought on by themselves. And I just found myself for, for almost the last two decades, almost three now, going, man, I wish I could get you back when you were 19 or 20. When you started making those decisions that I don't, I don't need to share with other men, uh, I don't need other men for my life with God, I'll kind of check in with God every once in a while. When you started making those decisions and you started pursuing the other things, that's what we're trying to undo, but that's nearly impossible to go back 20 years. But what if, and this is, this is why I wanted to jump on with Bucks, why, I've, why I've, I've been a board member for 15 years and then I was a staff member and I was a member and now I'm a staff member again. I love it because we can get guys to the most possible time and we can give them God and one another. That's what it was for me and that's what I see continually in our men. I mean, our, our entire mission is to equip and empower college men to live faithfully and lead courageously. So I want those guys going in to your church planting training. I want those guys being elders in churches. I want those guys leading companies with Christian conviction. That's why we do what we do. I mean, the interesting thing, too, is that a lot of that starts
0: with them having a first leadership experience in something like a small group or a cell group that allows them that ability to to lead. Is there as you, you know, studied these things and you've worked in that kind of that area for so long, is there area like how do you decide if somebody is actually ready to lead a small group?
1: Oh, man. I mean, that's that's the adventure I'm talking about. You know, do the other people in the group follow them? in someone and it may and it may not be that they're the the chess beating you know clear leader but they may lead the group in something like mercy you know they may have a gift of that where it's like man i could see you leading a group because you just kind of draw people to you who are um really they need a lot of mercy and we don't have that but i see kind of the group and the, the people that form around you so noticing how god uses people is the first step to recognizing, like, okay, you've got some gifting here. How could that be activated within a small group? You know, practically, just systematically, I want them to be in a small group before they lead one. So if you're Mm -hmm. a church leader, I would just say, hey, I I get it. Maybe you've led 20 small groups before me and you've got 40 years on me in this. I would just ask you for a little bit, be in one of our groups so you can kind of learn what God's doing here. See the flavor, Mm -hmm. get to know the people, then let's launch you out. I like that a lot. I think that's really good Yeah, because uh, it's the cultural
2: element. And, you know, if you look at, um, oh, man, it's in the, I can't remember if it's it's to the back of Leadership Engine, which is an old Tici's book. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. There's an appendix there that there's a a beautiful, I always draw it in a triangle, but it talks about the different, the different way people are developed or motivated. um, Yes. I would say developed. But it's command. The lowest form is command, Mm -hmm. then teach. Uh, Sorry, command, tell, teach, train, model, and then Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sorry, coach, then model. Yep. And so what you're doing is you're in what you're talking about, you're actually going to the model and coach level from day from day one, uh, which is a beautiful thing. And that's what's ultimately going to be effective in a culture because people are carriers of culture. And if you come in from the outside, you're bringing in a culture with you. And you yes. have, because what really a culture is, is shared assumptions. So you're bringing in, well, your assumptions aren't shared. Your assumptions are from wherever you came from. And if you come in, you can really blow up a culture or muddy right. our culture really fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really important um, yeah. for people to hear. Yeah. Okay, see. Dan, move us
0: on or we'll yeah. never end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a good conversation though. I love this. Um, but Jared, what, what are two or three things that you must absolutely do daily? Um, and what benefit do they have for your life and leadership?
1: Yeah, man. First thing is probably at least four to five mornings a week. I'll, I'll have coffee on our patio with my wife, which right now in Texas is about the only time you can sit outside from about six thirty to seven every morning. But man, that has been something like we kind of we kind of jettisoned date night a few years ago. Calm down, guys. But (laughs) we did that because it's like, man, we just keep trying to like slam a bunch of money and planning into this event. What if we just kind of plugged in? What if we just got up a little earlier? It's like we both we both love coffee in the morning. Let's just sit, talk about what God's doing in our day, pray for each other. And and here we go, man, it's that's something I've got to have, guys. Like, I just, I got to have that connection. That's something I've really enjoyed the last couple of years as we've gotten into that into that rhythm. Um, I got to take breaks throughout the day. I love that I get to do so many varied things. There's this Venn diagram in my life that just, it just kind of works, it all works together. But man, I got to exercise. So I'll go work out sometimes with a buddy. Um, sometimes I'll just go swim. Sometimes it's nice just to have a different environment. Um, it's like, man, I can just get in water and nobody's calling me doing laps. And I can just, honestly, I'll just pray for people as I go back and forth. Um, so it's time with God. It's it's ministry time, but it just changes it up a little bit. I'm not sitting in front of a screen. And then honestly, I'm, I'm not sitting in front of a person all the time. And sometimes I even need a break from that. Those are some things, man, I've got to read. And that's that's going to be fiction. Fiction's really important for me. I, I've, it gives me, honestly, I get more pastoral insight from fiction books, probably more than I do kind of the pastoral books most of the time. So I just, I got to get into that, the kind of lived experience or uh, fiction experience that someone else is sharing because there's some real truths in there. And then if you, man, Bible, if you see me reading the Bible, probably a 75% chance I'm in Proverbs, Samuel, John, or Ephesians. I just, I can't get out of those books. I just can't get out of those books. I go back to them daily. Are there any particular
2: commentaries that that you like personally?
1: Uh, yes, there are. Not so much sets. I'll tell you. I think you can you can see it behind me. Uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. I saw that one. It actually. is an it is it is an incredible resource. It just takes all all of the images and motifs we see throughout the Bible and talks about system. I mean, God is a God who uses images and and things in real life to tell us about himself um i mean i love i love that book i use it all the time um another one not so not so much uh it's not so much a commentary it's an actual translation of the old testament it's actually up there too there's a reason these are so close to me i use them all the time is a robert alters hebrew bible thing about robert alter is man he's from all indications he's not a believer but he's probably one of the leading scholars in Hebrew Bible. Like, I, I love Old Testament, guys. That's just, man, I, I love living in the Old Testament. So I have found that his translation along with his commentary, I'll use probably several times a week. Those are the two that I probably go to the most. You had me at the pictures. You lost me at the Hebrew. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. Well, he'll, he'll explain I, it for I, you. Like, honestly, I, I, like, I, I, I had a couple it. years of it, but, you yeah. know, I haven't yeah. really used it in a no, long time. I, I pray night. for the man because he... It's so funny. He He's, he's probably one of the leading Old Testament Hebrew Bible guys, and I don't think believes a word of it. So mm. every time I pull no. that down, I'm just like, man, God, I don't know how many years Robert Alter has left, but Seder. Right. You know, like, let it, let the veil
0: lift. Before we move on to the next question, I do have to ask, what is, what is one
1: good fiction book that you've read that you would recommend for some summer reading. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I'm I'm going to give you my stock answer. The book I recommend to any man who wants to get into fiction is Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. It's a historical fiction about the Battle of Thermopylae, the 300 Spartans and all that. It's the movie they should have made instead of 300 um it it is an it is an incredible book guys it's got it all it's got it's got leadership it's got friendship it's got camaraderie um it's got sacrifice it is an incredible incredible book i I believe it's required reading at the military academy um but it has been one of my favorites since college that's that's the book i would just tell because men typically you know it's like oh why do i read fiction just try this one just give it a shot
2: yeah i can't get over the the three hundred, the the imagery oh, yeah. that's there is yeah, yeah. It's well, completely so, different.
1: So this will this will redeem a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get get the Zack Snyder movie out of your head. This is what you're going, man, I wish they'd made this. This has got it all. Um can't recommend <laughs> right. it enough. Good deal. Okay. Uh what does leadership in
2: your home look like? You alluded to uh some mm-hmm. some early morning coffee, but um yeah. what does leadership in your home look like?
1: Man, early morning coffee. Jenny and I are the parents of, uh, of two boys, just turned 13 and about to turn nine. And so uh, Jordan's my 13 year old, Joshua's my nine year old. Man, I, I think uh, I think the greatest way I can lead them is just remembering what it was like to grow up, candidly. Like, I love them. I, I just, I am floored. Cause I, I grew up kind of hoping it's like, man, God, I, I really, I would love to have boys. Like I, we can't control that. And then when Jenny and I got married, we, we kind of were just like, I think, I think we're going to be boy parents. Again, you can't plan that. But that's what God's given us. You know, and a lot of my life is about fraternity, community. Man, I love those boys. And one of the best ways I can love them is just to remember what it was like to be 13. Remember conversations I wanted to have with my dad. Conversations we did have. What it's like when your body's just changing every other day. Things I was thinking about. And then for my nine year old, just remembering to play. Just remember is like, hey, I remember what it was like when I was about nine or 10 and I was playing with action figures and I go, oh, this isn't fun anymore. Like kind of, you know, just remembering those things. Remember he's going through a change too. So that's that's one of the best ways you can lead your home guys is just remember what it was like growing up. Um, go back to that time and give, give your sons and daughters those gifts. Um, for my wife, it's coffee. And then also, man, I just, I learn a lot from Jenny. So asking her questions is good leadership in our home. Cause she's a pretty stellar leader, especially like she's kind of a genius on human development stuff, um, children's ministry, all of that. So, um, man, we like learning together. That's uh that's some of the fun in our home. You know, you mentioned going back
0: um and remembering what it's like. You know, it kind of leads into our, our last question pretty pretty well. What, you know, if you were to go back to your twenty year old self, what would you tell him about preparing to lead?
1: Gosh. It's like you guys looked in my journal, because I actually think about this a lot. And it's really it's out of a heart of gratitude. The Lord kind of gave me this one day as I was praying. He just goes, Hey Jared. Can you imagine going back to your 19-year-old, your 20-year-old 20, 20 self and telling them everything you've gotten to experience? And guys, just, in, I mean, do that exercise right now. I mean, just instant gratitude for me. I think going back, first thing I would do is I wouldn't ask him. I'd say, hey, man, it, it, instead of I don't care about the time, space continuum, I would go ahead and tell him, here's what's coming for you. And I think he'd be floored. I think he would just be floored. And I hope it would produce a lot of gratitude and hope in him. I think I could I could probably learn some things from him because I think that was a young man who had uh, a lot of fervor for God, was very very devoted to God, was journaling like crazy, um, mm-hmm. was praying like crazy, felt called to ministry, like it was brand new that year when I was nineteen twenty. Man, I think I think I'd get some of that youthful energy just talking to him. So I, I would benefit from that, and I think. I think we'd like I think we'd like each other. I think he would like who he becomes at 41. And I think the 41 year old would go, okay, I didn't, I didn't get that far off, praise God. Like by God's grace, he implanted those things in my heart and look at the Lord, he did it, he did it. But I think we'd both just be floored and full of gratitude, which is, uh, which is what keeps me going guys. It's like if, I, if I'm getting off, it's because I've stopped being grateful. So even that little exercise of just like, man, go back and talk to 19, 20 year old Jared. Yeah. Instant gratitude just fills me with love for the Lord all over again. My 20 year old self would say, you're doing what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. There. All right. Um, okay. Tell us uh, one more time, title of your book, what it's yep. really
1: about uh, yep. in 30 seconds and we'll yeah. we'll get wrapped up. No, uh, the title is A Short Guide to Groups, The Art of Leading Community, Um, basically coming from the idea that there is no one size fits all way for designing transformational groups within the church. It is an art. It is not a science. Lean into the art with us. Um, Justin and I have, you know, combined, I think, nearly 40 years of leading this kind of thing Um, We wrote the book about community in community with one another because we wanted people to get in on that conversation, but we think there's some great stuff in here. We think that this is a book for people who love groups ministry, but also for those who want to love it. Um, Mm. Maybe they just need to revisit it. You know, I would say if you don't
2: love groups ministry, it's because you've been in a, almost a transactional discipleship model versus a transformational model. And what you said earlier basically is is something we've known for a a long time. Transformation occurs in the context of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yes, a relationship with God, but usually there's another person there. Yes, you can grow from reading Scripture, but um, processing that with someone is super important. Yes, processing with your wife uh, is important if you have one, or husband if you have one, but doing that in the context of relationship is is super important with other people who are who are, who are growing in their faith as well yeah. so man yeah. um, thank you thank you for writing a, an important thing and thank you for uh-huh. living it out in three different
0: directions.
1: <laughs> no, thank you, man. Pleasure to talk with you all today.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jared, it's been, it's been awesome to have you on the podcast and just sharing your leadership experiences with us. And thank you to those that are listening today. We hope that this has been helpful for you and your leadership. If it has, please leave us a rating or a re- review wherever you listen to your podcasts to help other leaders find us. Uh, thanks again for listening.